Welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Ruggiero, four-time Olympic medalist. Yeah, I have a gold in there, a couple silver and a bronze. So I was an athlete, but now CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. If you're listening to this podcast, you know it's our job to help the market evolve, talk about new technologies, new fan behaviors, using data and insights from the fan to build the right strategy. So that's what we do. That's what we talk about here. We break apart fan engagement, term that means everything and therefore nothing, uh, on the Fluid Fan Podcast. Over the last five years at Sports Innovation Lab, our team has really been defining innovation and studying the Fluid Fan, helping to shape a narrative that you all as industry experts can wrap your head around. Fans are evolving quickly. Uh, we, as we say, the, the three pillars of a fluid fan, they're open to change, empowered to choose, technology's enabled that. And they're, uh, once you think you know them, they're different. They're continuously evolving. So it's important to dive into that, to discuss that, the geographies, demographics, all of that are taken into consideration. But fluid fans' behaviors are the things that we really stress and focus on on this podcast and all the work we do at Sports Innovation Lab. So that's why we're here to talk to industry experts and to dissect the fluid fan. So today I'm joined by a true entrepreneur and someone who has rapidly created one of the most popular content and media brands in the business, Zach Wiener, who is the president and co-founder of Overtime. Stop right there, Overtime. If you don't know this brand, they're big, they are coming. They just raised $80 million. They are totally aligned with the Fluid Fan. That's why I'm excited to talk to Zach today. And we're going to dive into Overtime's media strategy, the power of shoulder content and athlete-driven media, as well as the emergence of Overtime Elite. They're not just a media company. They're actually a property. It's amazing. Super smart. The Overtime Elite is a new high school basketball league that they have built. Got a lot of attention in this industry. So uh, Zach knows the fluid fan. We've been aligned from day one. First time I heard him speak, he said, he gets it. I believe in what this guy is, is building. He understands that fluid fans are consuming their sports content on the go and on multiple social media platforms. The power of the athlete, this athlete driven media we talk all the time about. Uh, so what Zach and overtime have been able to create is truly astounding with that vision, the entrepreneurial spirit, 50 million followers across their seven social media channels. Big things to come. Zach's going to explore what that recent raise is about, what that strategy behind it, uh, and where they're headed as a business. So lots to cover on today's show. Happy to welcome, officially, Zach Wiener, the president and co-founder of Overtime on today's Fluid Fan Podcast. All right, welcome everyone to the Fluid Fan Podcast with uh, an amazing guest today, Zach Wiener, the president and co-founder of Overtime. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you, Angela. Really good to see you. Uh, and thanks for having me on the show. All right. You're crushing it. SPJ 40 under 40, class of 2021. Congratulations. You've won Woo! numerous other awards, Forbes 30 under 30. We'll keep listing them. You just raised a boatload of money. Uh, we'll get into that. But let's start with Overtime. I went on your website, I was trying to figure out how do you succinctly talk about what overtime is? Because it's more than one thing. It says it's a distributed sports network and brand. Can you walk us through, for those that 
are living under a rock and don't know what overtime is. Tell us, how did you get the idea and, and, and what is overtime? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny. It is sometimes difficult to summarize it in just a, a sentence or, or catchphrase, which is ironic because, you know, when you're starting a company, everyone says like, you got to be able to describe it in one sentence. Everyone has to be able to understand it, which is not untrue. Uh, you know, it's definitely helpful to be able to do that. Before I get to that, I just want to say anyone, anytime anyone mentions, you know, the, the, the Forbes or the Support SBJ thing, obviously I'm honored to have those awards, but they're, they're inextricably linked to, to overtime, of course, and which means that they're inextricably linked to the amazing team of people that I have around me. I, I really do not look at those individual awards. I look at them as, as overtime awards, and that's what I love talking about. So, you know, we, we do a lot of different things. The, the, the premise of the company, if we go back, you know, almost five years ago when we started was that there's this massive generation of fans growing up. And you know this well, Angela, obviously you're doing some of the sort of core research on it. There's a massive, uh, you know, amount of fans growing up that just have different consumption patterns, have different desires. You know, they, they're just different than, than the legacy audience. And so we felt that there was an opportunity to build a brand around that, a platform, a media company, uh, different businesses off of that um, because of sort of that hole in the marketplace. And so, you know, we set out to build the company. It was really, I like to say like, you know, I think that every company is really trying to find that product market fit. Everyone talks about that. That's nothing novel to say, but I do think that most companies probably start with a product and then they kind of adapt that product and then go find a market. I think, you know, we're one of the maybe, I don't know, in the 10 or 15% of, of, you know, the minority of companies that really start with the market before they start thinking about the product. And so we've evolved over time to create different products really to satisfy uh, that audience. And that's really what's allowed us to, you know, to be at a point now where we have 50 million fans and growing and do, you know, billions of video views and, and watch time and, and, and things like that. So that that's really sort of at the core of the business. And then we build different things off of that. I'm sure plenty of which we'll get into in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you're starting not with the product, but the market and you, you, we, that's why I love you years ago. We did an event together. I was like, I got to talk to that guy. It was before you're raising all your money, but at your core, you're, you're talking about the fluid fan. And that's what Absolutely. we talk about when we research every day. You said, I think, quote, we figured out that young people love sports, but want to consume it in a different way. They don't have the same affinity for legacy media networks. And they were looking for a community that felt like it was theirs. And, you know, you're filling that gap in so many ways that trying to really understand that fluid fan, which is what I'm reading, which is what I'm hearing, which is what you're building and building the product experience around them. Yeah, no, it's true. And I, you know, I think even in just that, you know, 30 seconds, you said a lot of interesting things, but one of the kind of key words, I think, um, within that is that word community. Uh, and you look even at the at the shirt that I'm wearing, this is, you know, our shout out to overtime shirt is sort of the hand signal that we make to kind of represent overtime. And, you know, it, it links back to the other part of part of the statement, which is that, you know, the legacy networks and brands, et cetera, are not that the younger people don't have the same affinity for them. And to be clear, it's it's not that young people never watch live television. It's not that they never tune into legacy networks. Uh, they're doing it at lower clips and and, and the data shows that. But I actually think it's less about the raw numbers and it's more about the engagement and, and attitude towards those brands. <laughs> and it's it, and it's not it's it's not it's not a it's not an explicitly negative attitude. It's more of a uh, indifference uh, attitude. You know, they're basically a lot of media companies are really just a vehicle to watch a game or you know see a specific talent or whatever. And I think 
you know, for overtime, we want the overtime brand to actually mean something to represent something to young people. And I feel like we've been able to do that. And that's why, you know, we talk about the scale, but the thing that we really pride ourselves on, you know, in terms of a metric standpoint is having the highest engagement. You know, when you look at Instagram or TikTok or any of the platforms that, that we live on, we have extremely high engagement. We respond to tons of DMs. People are commenting, liking, uh, interacting with us to the point where, you know, I can walk down the street in an overtime shirt and some 19-year-old, some 22-year-old, some 15-year-old, be like, yo, shout out to overtime and throw up the O. You don't see that a lot these days, really in, in many industries, but particularly, uh, you know, in the sports media space, you don't really see that. And I think that that's a, an instrumental building block um, to, to, to having success right now. Yeah, I can't wait for this conversation again. Community is at your core in our latest research, the FAM project, it's all about the community-based monetization model, which is understand, build your community, build this digital space. And that's essentially what you've done. One piece backing it up to our kind of overline thinking at Sports Innovation Lab around the fluid fan is that fluid fans want to choose. They're empowered to choose. And in this case, you're helping them choose the content they want on the platform they want, which I think is really important. You always started with that premises. And I think you have provided this over-the-shoulder content to over 50 million followers, seven platforms. How, how do you think about your overall media strategy and some of the technologies that you use to, again, create the content and drive this experience that you know these fans really want? Yeah, I mean, I think that that I'll kind of break that down into two parts. I think there's obviously the content creation mechanism and there's the content consumption method. So if we start with on the creation side, you know, the, the first technology that we really built was what we really call internally flashback. It's a password protected app that now thousands of people use, uh, you know, across the world. They're basically contractors for us and we can send them to any event. It tends to be, let's say a high school basketball game or international soccer game or, or uh, you know, elite high school football game, things like that. Uh, but we also send them to, you know, World Cup parades and stuff like that. It essentially allows us to get content from all over the world that we actually own. So it's proprietary and we get it very cheaply uh, and, and we get it very quickly, you know, and we have this unique advantage. People always ask like, how do you have content from all these different places? Um, and it's because we built this technology and this network. So that's part of, of our content creation. And, and, and as I said, part of it is for speed, part of it is for cost efficiency, but it's also for community, right? If you are, you know, a, a, a 19 year old uh, in college and you played high school basketball, you probably saw someone with an overtime shirt in your gym. And that's a pretty powerful thing. So we've kind of built community through content creation in a way, you know, and then on the content creation side as well, when we think about our sort of longer form programming, you know, call it 15 to 20 minute episodic series, we now have 40 of those series across YouTube and Snapchat, et cetera. We are very much into empowering young people to be the creators. So, you know, these are full-time employees are using, you know, 4K Netflix approved cameras. They're very, very talented. And we definitely have people with a lot of experience, but a lot of them come with a little bit more of a raw sensibility. They're oftentimes in the cohort uh, that we're actually targeting. So I think some of it has to do with the content creation. And the other thing is the distribution. I think you hit the nail on the head of customization and meeting people where they are. If you think about social media as a construct, it it really allows you to parse exactly what you want to see. You know, if you think about the old model, you know, you you turn on Sports Center, you're going to watch whatever's on there. I mean, you might channel surf a little bit, but you don't. You know, especially going back 25 years, you didn't have that many options. So if it was a hockey highlight, it was a baseball highlight, it was basketball, whatever it was, 
you kind of had to be locked into that. But, you know, on Instagram, TikTok, any of these platforms, you want to watch just basketball, you go follow a basketball account. You want to watch just hockey, you follow a hockey account. Right down even to the person. You want to know more about Messi, you follow Messi. And so I think that um, this generation, almost by definition, consumes media more in that way. And so, you know, even on a specific platform, we'll have accounts for different sports. And, you know, I think that for, for a long time, people tried to use social media to kind of like funnel people to, to, to one specific platform or website or whatever. I think that's part of what social media can, can be used for. But I think if you're only doing it to do that, you're kind of missing the point, which is actually to program for those channels and to make sure you're servicing people there so that you can actually grow your brand and you can monetize it there. You can have deep engagement even on these platforms. Yeah, the quality over quantity is a big thing we're advocating for. If you, you know, one thing we've been studying with fluid fan behaviors is breaking up the engagement, which means everything and nothing and doing it by behavior. So you've built these, you know, these communities, you've given them new ways to engage with you, different behaviors that you're, you're pulling out of them. Content creation is an example. So going, building off of this brand that you're creating, we talked earlier a little bit about merch sales and you keep t- referencing the, the, the t-shirt and it's just, it's taken off. You've hosted pop-up shops back in the day and really allowed your fans now, the brand to stand on its own head and is a core piece of what we're promoting or recommending to the market around this community-based monetization model, which we think is the future of sports. Can you give me a little bit more in-depth on on your merch strategy and how important it was in growing your brand and really engaging that target audience? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think when you have a really engaged community, like it, it, it opens up a lot of different opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparel is obviously, you know, a really interesting one for us because, you know, it, it's a it's a product that has a, a reasonable price entry point, right? You know, our t-shirts tend to run, I don't know, $40, sweatshirts, $75 in that range. They're seen as premium by our audience. They're coveted. They're, they're not, you know, $5 t-shirts, but they're also accessible. It's also helpful, you know, our, our fans essentially are advertising for us. They're advertising that they're part of this community, which I, which I think is re, is really valuable. And so, you know, we, we really, um, we think about it from not so much like, you know, kind of giving away free merch or anything like that. It's like, how can we become an apparel company with different drops and, and really be, compete in, in the lifestyle space and do collaborations in that space, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a big part, it's a big part. It's a multi-million dollar business for us and growing. So that, that, that's been really successful. And I do think that it's a, it's a model for other, you know, I, I don't want to say that we're the model for other companies because there are other companies that did it before us and some that also do it very successful. But the idea of doing that is a model for companies that have, uh, I think, a, a really, I keep using the word, but really engaged audience. I think it's, it's, it's a valuable business unit. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Again, we, we advocate, we're saying, look, merch and group licensing and e-commerce is a piece of the traditional model that hasn't, we think, been leaned into as well as it should be given today's fluid fan. And a lot of the emphasis has been, as you know, on sponsorship and ticket sales and traditional media. So so kudos, I will say that again, for, for your leadership there's that because Obviously, um, you get it. You get these younger fans, these fluid fans. Another area that I want to highlight, give our listeners an idea of what Overtime Elite is, because you've cornered this high school market. You know, your all your channels have amazing content that I'm sure led to the development of Overtime Elite League. And 
you're not just a merch company, a media company. You're, tell us about Overtime Elite and what that is. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's actually, there's, there's a link between, you know, the apparel business and OTE and really all of our business, which is that I think that the strongest ways to monetize, you know, a, a community are ways that actually, that actually make your audience happier, right? Like our audience is happy that they can buy t-shirts from us. That wasn't like a, you know, a, a, a thing that, oh, well now over time selling t-shirts, like, damn, like they're, they're sold out. Like they, 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 they want to do that. And I would even talk about our, our, our advertising and sponsorship business in the same way, which is that we rarely, if ever are providing, you know, just like kind of logo slaps or things that are not being additive, you know, our, I would say most of the content we create with brand partners, our audience actually, and it's shown by the engagement rates and the comments, like they're like, oh, I love this piece of content. And you can actually tell from the brand studies that the brands are getting lift because the fans feel like the brands are bringing them something. And so I think apparel does that. I think uh, a lot, a lot, a big portion of our advertising business. And then certainly as we think about the launch of OTE, I think that does that too. And so to, to kind of give the super high level on what that is, is it's essentially a super league for the top high school basketball players in the world, you know, both international, we have, we have athletes committed from the Philippines and France and Dominican Republic and Romania, et cetera. Uh, and then obviously a lot of the, the elite uh, United States athletes as well. And it's basically a super league, which is going to be an unbelievable media property. And, you know, we, we've seen sort of the power of uh, the, these young athletes and, and seeing sort of the attention that, that they, they command and, and, and the storylines around them and all that, that's going to be unbelievable. But the other part of it is really around athlete empowerment and providing for these athletes uh, economic empowerment. So every single athlete is receiving a six-figure salary. They're also receiving equity and overtime, insurance, scholarship, all, all these different elements, really focusing on education. We're, we have a four-to-one student-teacher ratio at sort of our academy portion of this. You know, and then we also think about basketball development very seriously and training these athletes for the NBA and, you know, having elite coaching staff and, and sports science and nutrition and all those things. So, you know, it, it's that we believe that it's a huge step in terms of the path for, you know, the elite uh, amateur now turning pro athlete. And we also believe that there is an unbelievable business here to create really the league that, you know, the next generation of fans is, is, is in a way almost feels like just in the way that over time, it feels like they've built that. They've also now helped and contribute to build this league. And, and again, it's, it's not just going to be here in the United States, also internationally as well. Yeah. No, that's great. Because it, what I love is that you're, you're controlling almost the, the business stack, you know, and we see some leagues like Jerome Racing League is an example we've worked with that, you know, by having their media capabilities on top of the league, the integration, I guess, is, is more seamless. And when you have, obviously you, you're, you're running a league now with the content with the merch, putting it all together. I'm sure you have synergies and you have global aspirations. Tell us about your recent raise. Cause again, I'll, I, I get the business, but you had to go sell the dream. You know, something like this hasn't been done before. 80 million in a series C round from investors like Jeff Bezos, who probably knows a thing or two about tech, uh, Drake, Alexis Ohanian and, and my good friend Pal Gasol. Uh, tell me about the raise and where you guys are headed because you got a baller list of, of investors um, with a big vision behind you. Yeah, we're very blessed, as you, as you just said, to, to have a, an amazing uh, cap table. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, look, if, if you think about, you know, our raises from the early days, and I would assume for most companies, like you're really selling, in my opinion, really vision and team. 
right? Like, you know, and, and I even sometimes talk to our seed stage investors, like, why, why did you invest in us? And team is the number one thing they talk about. They were like, we believed in, in you and Dan. So I, I think early days was team and vision. Now we're definitely still selling team, right? And, and you know, now, now Dan and I have, you know, luckily even more under our belt to be able to prove besides our prior experiences. We have four and a half years running this, running this company. We now also have an amazing team working with us, you know, Aaron Ryan, the commissioner of overtime, he's been 22 years at the NBA, Rich Kalachi, our CRO with me most recently, CRO Pluto TV, Mark Cohen ran content at, at, at Barstool and before that ran video bleach reports. We have an amazing, so I think the team is like, has really kind of supersized it, itself up, up. And, you know, that's really the executive team. That's not even talking about, you know, tons of, of, of employees that we have that are really unbelievable talents. I think the vision has really only gotten bigger, right? And it's, so it's not, to your point, it's not just about the audience, but it's about being a vertically integrated media company and, and owning the stack from end to end. And I think the market opportunity is, is even bigger because no one else, in my opinion, is addressing these fans like the way that we are. And we're, we're seeing more and more disruption in the space, uh, you know, obviously in terms of streaming and, and, and those aspects. So I, I, think, uh, I think that was exciting. But I think to, to, have a, to have a really big vision of where you can go, but to also, in, in a weird way, I, I think what we achieved in this round was we, we really raised the ceiling on what overtime could be while also proving over the past four and a half years that it still has a really high floor, right? So what we've already achieved kind of establishes the floor, but it also opens up a really high ceiling. And I think that's ultimately the message that got investors excited and luckily continues to get investors excited as we've got a lot of inbound and stuff like that. I love the team aspect. I, I interview a lot of executives on this podcast and that's uh, the good ones are always deflecting attention to their team but at a young age man you you, you get it which i love um, I, I i appreciate that but i i i it's it is prop you're right that it's probably the right thing to say but in my case it, it couldn't be truer and I, and i find it hard to believe that for any really successful company it isn't true like there's only so much one person can do like do i think i'm a beast like yeah like i, I work really hard like i try to make the right decisions i try to be an empathetic leader all those things but like there's just only so much that one person or two people's founders, whatever can do. It has to come down to the team. Yeah. What sport did you play in growing up? Almost every single sport I played. I played basketball the longest. Uh, I play a lot of tennis uh, recently. I played soccer. Uh, I played one-on-one -on -one hockey with, with my dad in, in our like little porch area. Um, you I, played baseball. I, I grew up in, in the city in New York. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's harder to get ice in the city. But. Yeah, yeah. No, no I, I did not play ice hockey, but I, yeah, I played a little street hockey. And then, uh, yeah, I basically played a little everything. I played some some flag football, a little bit of everything. Love it. Did you watch the Olympics recently? I'm curious. You know, it's funny. I, the, the short answer is I watched a little bit, but... I, I've uh, I've always been a big fan of the Olympics, uh, and in fact, actually, for the SBJ thing, one of the questions I asked was like, "What what event would you attend if you could attend an event?" And I said the Olympics, and someone read it. I think it was my mom, and she was like, "Really? Oh, I didn't know you liked the Olympics." I was just like, "Yeah, I love the Olympics. I think it'll be so so epic." And this year, like, I was ready to watch, and yeah, I'm really busy, and that was one reason why I didn't watch as much. But I don't I I, I don't know what it was. I, it just you know, I have, I have Peacock, like I have the, the ways to watch it. I don't think the streaming thing was like a big issue for me, but yeah, maybe there weren't as many stars this year. I don't know. I just was, yeah. there, there were no events where I was like, I need to watch that event. And so that I didn't really end up watching much of any of it. 
Well, the, the, the ratings are definitely down. But one of the reasons I was asking you is that one key element of the Olympics is this storytelling. If you give, give me a reason to care, tell me yes. about this athlete, the context, where they're from, what their deal, like what's their struggle or why, why do I, am I going to invest my time in this storyline? How much do you think about building again, the shoulder content, the backstory before actually bringing your fans to the game, to the actual. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's absolutely vital. Uh, I mean, even if you look at the content that we produced from our event, the overtime takeover, which was over two years ago now, but was really one of the inspirations for the launch of this league. I mean, it was a one day event where we brought in all these top high school basketball players did 150 million video views. But the, if, if you look at what we call one of our game episodes, you know, these are 10 to 15 minute videos that kind of summarize a, an hour long game. Yep. So much of that content uh, is actually filmed before or after the game and it's interviews with the athletes and talking about how they're excited to go head to head with this athlete or whatever it is or what motivates them. And I think that's wildly important, um, particularly for this for this next generation, because they, they have there's so much competition for their attention. So you have to convince them. And when I say convince, I don't mean like necessarily like advertise or market to them. You have to convince them really through storytelling that they should care about this. And, and I agree that that was uh, the Olympics traditionally has done an amazing, amazing job of that. Uh, and for whatever reason, I don't think that it translated a, as much th this year. I mean, I'll, I'll even give a specific example, which is um, I thought one of the most amazing stories from this past Olympics was I don't remember the, the guy's name, but he, but he won the 400 meter hurdles and his time, he set a new world record. He beat his own record or whatever, which is always a cool mini story, but he ran so fast that he ran faster than I think like half the Olympic athletes ran the 400 without hurdles. Like that's, that's, it's insane. insane. Like it's pretty unfathomable to me. Like I was talking about it yesterday. I still find it so unfathomable. And like, if, and I, maybe there, I'm sure there were articles or videos about this leading up to it, but I didn't hear any of them. But if I had known that that was a possibility, like that's, that's really good storytelling and context, like to be like, whoa, that's amazing. I would have tuned in and be like, is this guy going to run faster? And like, show it to me side by side, like context and storytelling is just so important to caring yeah. about. Yeah. One area that um, I'm curious to get on women's sports doesn't get a lot of visibility. They don't get, you know, a fraction of the airtime, which is part of the reason I think, you know, we don't have the same viewership numbers as women's sports just doesn't, you, you don't know it's happening. You don't know where to find it. You don't have the context. What do you think, you know, you're, you're close, your fingers close to the pulse in terms of these, these new age fluid fans and especially the younger ones, where's women's sports headed? I mean, you're doing some on the basketball side, but like, what's your, your temperature check in terms of now you have technology that is giving fans more access, leveling the yeah. playing field in some ways, athletes can build their own brand, whether they're male or they're female. Yeah. Where's the women's sector headed? I, I definitely think it's upwards. We've seen a lot of success in women's basketball, as you mentioned. I, I have a, I have one really kind of strong opinion on this that I that um, I'd be actually be curious if if you agree. But and and there's there's a there's a little bit of in my opinion some nuance. I want to make sure that I, I articulate it really well. Which is, you know, when people talk about women's sports. One of the, one of the, I feel like if you did like word association with women's sports, I feel like one of the first word associations people would have in their mind would be equality, right? People talk about like the women's soccer team should be paid the same as men. Like there's a lot of talk about equality. 
And obviously that's, it's a vital, it's a vital part of the conversation around women's sports. I think that, um, I think because the association is so strong, I have this, I, I have this theory that this is a, it's weird to put it this way, but I think there's, there's too much equality within women's sports. And what I mean by that is that if you look at the NBA, the amount of attention on LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, like there are in some ways the haves and the haves not in the NBA in terms of attention, right? And now the WNBA, let's stick on bath for a second, certainly has stars, right? Like Brianna Stewart is amazing. Subert is amazing. They definitely have stars, but I don't think from what I have seen, the way that women's sports is marketed, I don't think there's enough inequality within women's sports. I think that they need to be even more star focused. They need to really double down on those personalities that are really working on the teams that are really working dynasties, those sorts of things, because I think inequality within men's sports is rampant. And, and, and I don't mean inequality in a negative way, right? Like LeBron James should so you're be just a lot percentage of, of mind share eyeballs. Yes. No, I, look, I, I, my perspective is just being a hockey player. And I say this all the time. It's you were taught it's what is on the front, not on the back. We're all the same. There's no I in right. I think it hurts our sport because yes, yes. you deflect attention. No, it's and but to your point, the fluid fan, we're on this podcast now, Zach. This is about what's the future of sport. And I think you're absolutely right. The bigger entertainers, the bigger brands, the bigger individuals lift the leagues and respect yes. the teams that they play on fluid fans follow the athlete over the the team and the league i mean exponentially you see that in yes. social followers so it's an it, actually an interesting observation because as a female athlete yes i think not only the team sport athletes but female athletes tend to be more hey we're all going to do this together right it's a good thing in yeah, most yeah. respects, but in this case you're like you, you got to stand out from the pack yes. to win it, attention it, it, exactly and so I think that, you know, social media is clearly not going away. It's only getting bigger. I think that social media causes actually more of a, more of a gap, right. And in, in terms of, you know, athletes, fame and, and platform and stuff. And I think that that's critical because, you know, as humans, like we, we can't, we can't, we can't care about a hundred different athletes. We just can't. Yeah, um, I mean, that's like, yeah, any, you know, five or six from every league and that's, if you, unless you're a diehard, right. Right, right. Exactly. So you know, I would say that that's, I think, I think women's sports is headed in the right direction. I think it's, it's definitely an upward trend, but if I could, you know, wave a magic wand and, and have a perspective in people's heads around women's sports, that that's what it would be like for everyone. Attention economy, you got to pull out your stars and put them on a, make them LeBron, make them messy. So. Exactly. And that's easier said than done. And, and look, I, I'm not at all trying no, it's to. One of our, it's one of the data points that we measured in the fan project was access in some leagues. All they want is access to the athlete and they could care less about everything else. They want, just tell me about that star, everything about them, what they're eating, they're dating, yeah. what they're wearing. Um, yeah. It's a good, it's a good observation, Zach. Anyway, I'm curious to see where you guys head in that space. Last question before we dive into the innovation segment at the end. You obviously have raised a bunch of money. You've got a great vision. You've got a great team. You have that full stack, as we've talked about. You kind of have control of that brand, which I love. Do you think the industry is going to replicate what you're doing? You're breaking barriers. I'm, I'm trying to get to where's the sports industry headed and your observations relative to what you're building or just in general, um, sitting kind of on the outside, building something that's very unique. Where, where are we headed as an industry? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that. Look, I, I don't know. I don't know what the percentages are, but if like if I had to guess right now, I would say that, and you would know better than me, so check me on this. But at least eighty percent of revenue in a sports business is tied to rights and to advertising. Like it's got to be something. I would think above eighty percent, and and I think that those are two. Even if you go outside of the sports ecosystem specifically, if you think about advertising as a whole and you think about television as a whole, like they're just undergoing massive disruption. And obviously, those two things are, are linked in some ways. But even if you separate the linkage, like you know, cable subscriber numbers are going way down. You know, and advertising has been disrupted by the Facebooks and the Googles and the Amazons for quite a long time. So, I think I think where that leaves a lot of the legacy players is is very, very, very focused on the business model and how they adapt, right? Like, you know, the biggest project at ESPN from everything that, that I can tell over the past three years has been ESPN+. And that's, that's probably right, you know, and, and, and Disney as a company has had a lot of success, uh, you know, in, in the proverbial streaming wars. So, you know, but, but I think that thinking about how you monetize your audience is not always the same as thinking about how you engage your audience. And, in a weird way, because let's keep on ESPN because they're kind of the you know the, the the leader in the legacy space for sure. Because they've made billions of dollars for years off of the, the old ecosystem, they need to quickly figure out how to do that in in the new ecosystem and, and convert those legacy audience. And for us, we're sort of um, ascending in a time where they have to adapt to those things. But for us, it's like we don't have to like launch, you know, overtime plus like tomorrow, right? We're we're still building. I think we're at it. We're at, we're actually sort of um, we're we're ascending at the right time, and we're ascending with I think the right audience. And I think it also means that the legacy companies, like they they can't exactly do and they can't prioritize what we're doing right now on their own. So. I, I think we're we're well positioned if that makes sense. I mean, of course classic, I think that, but <laughs> classic disruption. Zach Wiener, president and co-founder of Overtime. You're definitely building the future. 1.5 billion views of your content, seven platforms, 50 million followers across seven platforms. 88% of your audience is under 35. You're going to where the puck is headed. Keep building, man. I'll be I'll be following you for sure. Thank you, Angela. I really, really appreciate that. All right. Before you go, though, you got to listen and answer my innovation questions because that's what I wrap with. You good? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. What's innovation mean to you? Softball, whatever you want. (laughs) Mm. Sometimes the softballs, though, like you're pressured to hit a home run. (laughs) I would say I would say trying something that hasn't really worked properly, either hasn't been done properly in the past or hasn't worked properly uh, in the past, because I think that, you know, you, you, you could be doing something that has been done before, but you got to do it in, in a different way or in a different context um, because it didn't work before. That's, I guess, how I would put it. All right, who's the most innovative person in our industry? Someone you uh, aspire to be or listen to at the very least. Well, this is posthumously, but uh, I, would, I would say David Stern, who was a huge mentor for me. And yeah, I, I definitely felt I learned a lot from him. And I think undeniably was a titan of the industry and for change for sure. He was an early investor, right? Yeah, he was. He was our first investor actually. Yeah. What, what in our in our seed round? Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he, we just I just did a podcast with Val Ackerman and his oh nice over and over and over. So yeah, 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 for sure. But he's he's a legend. Good choice. Who's the most innovative company in sports tech? Can't say overtime. 
Darn it. I was just going to ask if I could say over time. In your space, outside of your space, someone that you just think is doing cool stuff. Yeah. And a lot, lot, lot of fascinating things going on. I, I would say it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I'm really, really, really curious to see over the next called two to three years. Uh, Amazon, obviously, with Thursday Night Football rights, you know, all the talks of Apple getting about. Like, I, I'm very, very curious to see what innovation has done there because in my opinion, taking a game that's been the same as always and just putting it on a different platform, you know, but might that increase ratings or put it in a place where people have access? Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know how innovative that is, but I I feel confident that some of those companies are going to figure out really innovative ways to broadcast. And, you know, it's obviously one of the things we're focused on with OTE. So I, I think that's a space that I'm looking towards in innovation. I don't think that it's happened yet, but I think it's coming. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Don't just shrink it. And it's a different beast. So it's sure yes. you have Amazon behind you. <laughs> All eyes are on them. I know I have a little bit of their stock. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> All right. Finally, again, you can't see yourself because you hit pretty much all these categories. Who's the most innovative league team or federation? What's a property that you uh, you follow? I, I would say the NBA. I think that, look, I, I think that in a really difficult time, as we've discussed, um, their brand continues to, to be strong. They continue to take risks. They take it on the business side. They take it in terms of, you know, think about things like mid-season tournaments. They, they take it in terms of, you know, standing up, you know, for what's right in terms of social justice. I think they're a real leader in, in the space. So I, I would say them. I mean, I have a lot, I, I would say I have respect for, you know, all the commissioners um, of sort of the major leagues right now, but I, I definitely follow what the NBA does really closely. Awesome. All right. That's it for me. Zach Wiener, president, co-founder of Overtime. Thanks for being on the Fluid Fan Podcast and uh, sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Awesome. Thank you, Angela. I really appreciate it. And great to see you. So once again, I'd like to thank Zach Wiener, the president and co-founder of Overtime. Thanks for joining me on the show. Super smart. You get, you, you get it. You've always got it. But you're going hard. I love bringing leaders like Zach that are definitely changing the industry, disrupting the status quo, and pushing, pushing boundaries. Zach and Overtime are doing just that. We talk about storytelling. It's a key piece of the fan project, key piece of where we ha- we believe uh, this athlete-driven media piece, this community-based monetization model. There, there are all these elements of the future business model of sport that Overtime is, is hitting on and putting those ideas into practice with their business. So glad you could be here to listen to this conversation. Super stimulating. Want to Close by thanking my producer, Jack Barlow. You rock. You know that. You're the best. I love my team at Sports Innovation Lab. Keep on building breakthrough fan experiences with the strategy and the data-backed strategy and advice that we give to this industry. A lot of tech, a lot of shiny objects out there. You got to be focused. You got to figure out what your fans actually want, not what you think they want. What do they want? Data will help you get there quicker. So excited for what my team does every single day to provide those insights and advice. And you, my listener, I love you. I love you all. I'm getting so many nice messages about this podcast. It it motivates me to to keep doing it, uh, to bring on interesting guests. Tell me who you want on next time. Definitely feel free to subscribe and give us some some stars. We like those stars. makes me feel special. And follow us on Twitter or any of our social channels at Sports iLab or at Angela Ruggiero. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the Fluid Fan Podcast.